I'm Lucy. And I'm Mandy. And we are two fertility nurses who bring you WTF. A podcast about all things fertility that everybody expects you to know, but nobody teaches you about. A safe space to laugh, learn, cry, share stories, and most likely have a few WTF moments. This is What the Fertility. All right. Well, we are very excited to bring in Dr. Priya Alexander, who is a GP, but is a specialist in a whole heap of things. <laughs> We're in the kitchen. You've got an amazing book out that you just wrote and that's going pretty well. It is, yeah. Um, I think that you've absolutely kept yourself busy enough at the moment with <laughs> two kids as well. <laughs> And then we're throwing this in the mix. <laughs> Which is great because I love this stuff, so I'm excited. So we're going to chat about a few different topics today, but basically we wanted to just cover off a lot of the first steps that people take to come in, see you and talk about starting to conceive or starting to look into their fertility. So if a patient comes into the clinic to see you to have a chat about their fertility and getting their AMH checked, mm-hmm. what is your recommendation for them going forward? It depends. So AMH is, for people listening, anti-malarian hormones. AMH is the acronym. Correct. Um, There is a lot more discussion about this now because people are talking about it and people are talking about it over coffees and dinner tables. And so I have huge numbers of people going, Priya, I want to talk about my fertility. I want to get this test done. And I go, whoa, 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 why? Let's let's (laughs) take it back. Now, what is this blood test? It's it's what I've said, a blood test. Mm-hmm. And what it looks at is your ovarian reserve. And I say to patients, it gives us the vibe of the ovary. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, and <laughs> Absolutely. So it's, it's not the exact number of eggs. It's not the quality of the eggs. It's the vibe. Yeah. And it basically gives me a graph and says your patient at, you know, 30, is it about average or a bit lower than average or high? And so what I say to patients is, okay, you know, first of all, what's the age of my patient? People are talking about it in their 20s. And I say to people, why? Because are you thinking of fertility preservation right now? We don't normally, you know, talk about it often in our 20s. Yeah. And what's the result going to do for you? You know, it costs money. It's not a Medicare funded test. So it costs you about 80 to $90 out of pocket. Yeah. And why are we doing it in your 20s? Because if it's low it's going to generate a whole heap of anxiety. Correct. And if it's high, it might falsely reassure you. Yeah. And so it's it's the perfect test for people who come in in about their kind of late 20s, early 30s who go mm-hmm. to me, Priya, I want kids. They're in my future, but they're not for the next four to five years or longer. And I go, okay, so I know what we're doing. We're planning ahead and we're trying to keep doors open here that's the time the test can be helpful. Mm. And so I do all the counselling and I tell people it's not the be all and end all. People with a low AMH conceive without intervention. People with a high AMH can have difficulty. The quality of the egg, again, it doesn't tell us that. I do all the counselling. <laughs> Which is so important. <laughs> agree. Otherwise, people kind of get the result and are in a real yeah, spin. And literally. Yeah. yeah. And so I do all the counselling and then we do the test if it's the right thing. And I often do it with all the other stuff I do for someone if I'm referring them to a fertility specialist to think about egg or embryo freezing. Yeah. 
That's the long-winded answer, I'm sorry. (laughs) No, it's the perfect answer because we speak about this a lot as well and we know that it's such a common conversation at the Mm. moment in so many different aspects and I think that that part of it is so important in terms of why are you actually getting the test Yeah. and what's it going to achieve for you because, as you said, it's so anxiety-provoking if it doesn't come back the way that you hoped it would. Correct. And it can send you in such a spiral and, you know, with mental health these days, it's so important to make sure that you're taking care of that and absolutely yeah I think that's a really important aspect to it (laughs) definitely because I think people don't understand that if it comes back low and then they have that anxiety then about the next steps of egg freezing if they weren't prepared to egg freeze correct understand like the costs and things involved because it's not cheap no there's costs there's also the physical toll that it takes for an egg collection I've got patients going through it right now who are really uncomfortable yeah there's the emotional toll because Mm -hmm. there's the finances attached to it and how many eggs will I get and I wanted 20 and I only got seven and Mm -hmm. am I the problem? I see all of that. And so I always say to people, why are we doing the test? What are we trying to achieve with it? Mm -hmm. It's got to have a reason behind it. Otherwise, it's just there to generate a bit of anxiety. Yeah. Yep. Love it. (laughs) Perfect answer. So on the contrary, say a patient comes in to see you and they are thinking about starting to conceive, Mm. what are the first sort of steps? Because I've had friends say, I don't even know where to start. Is it booking in with the GP? Is it that I need to go and see a specialist straight away? Where are the steps? And and I I think that's a great question for you to answer, being the first point of contact. I know that, but not everyone knows that. So No. So I think a lot of people don't realise that preconception care, seeing a health professional before you even conceive is hugely critical. Mm. and can change the outcomes for both mum and baby. Yeah. So I'm, this, I get so excited. It's like one of my favourite consults. <laughs> yeah. When people come in, I'm like, yeah. I get tingles. I'm we like, see I your can, lives and you're like, this you? is my favourite thing. <laughs> because I'm like, I'm going to change the health trajectory for a little baby yeah. and a mum. That's amazing. Yeah. But preconception care is ideally seeing your GP six to 12 months before you try to conceive. Yeah. And it's huge. What I do in a consult, and I usually do it over several consults, I'm talking about ordering blood tests, all the HIV, syphilis, Hep Mm -hmm. B, Hep C, huge amount of blood tests. I talk about genetic carrier screening. So, you know, do you want to go through either a blood or a saliva test to look at your carrier state for certain inherited conditions? You and your partner might do that if you've got a partner. Um, I'm talking about supplements, folic acid and iodine. I'm looking at the meds that you're on. Are they safe? Do we need to change them? Talking about your mental health, are you smoking? Insurance, if you want to consider private obstetric care, is it covered? Is there a waiting period? Yeah. It's huge. Yeah, and it is so important. And I feel like people at this stage, I think it's getting better and better, but I feel like not many people realise that you actually should be seeing a GP before you even try to start. Yeah. Optimise, you know. optimise, optimise, optimise. Mm. And even if you're sitting there going, oh, I'm healthy, fit, well, no medical conditions, I'm still going to talk Doesn't to you matter. about the bloods, the genetic carrier <laughs> yeah. screening and the supplements you ideally want to be on to reduce the risk of neural tube defects, yeah, folic exactly. acid. Yeah. So there's lots of little tweaks there. And even checking in with your GP and going, actually, Priya, my anxiety is a little bit of an issue right now. I kind of go, why don't we optimise that Mm. before you get pregnant? Because that can be a really tumultuous time for a lot of people. So let's get a psychologist involved before you conceive. All of that stuff can make a big difference. 
When you get someone to do carrier screening, what are the things that you're looking for? Are these the things that we see in our jobs with excellent conditions? So what I talk about is carrier screening for things like cystic fibrosis, fragile X, yes. Um, And so people might have heard of McKinsey's mission in Victoria, which McKinsey had spinal muscular atrophy. She died. Her parents have done amazing work to get the word out about genetic carrier screening. And so I offer patients, there are now, you know, options for tests. There's a blood test, there's a saliva swab. You can test for three conditions. You can test for over 300. The cost varies. Yeah. And some people, I offer it to everyone because the guidelines say they should be offered to everybody who's either preconception or early pregnancy. And I would have to say probably 85% of my patients take it up. Um, You don't have to do it, but you should know about it. Yeah. Um, And it takes time to do it. And look, we ideally say before pregnancy so that if you end up being a carrier, let's say for CF, cystic fibrosis, Mm. I would go on to test your partner. Yeah. Um, if you've got one and if they're a carrier too and there's a high chance that the infant is going to be affected, there's actually the option for IVF yeah. with pre-implantation genetic diagnosis of the embryo. Correct. And so I say to parents, it basically means they look at the embryo, they test it, they go, woo, that one's not affected, that's the one we'll implant. And actually there are a lot more people doing this now thanks yeah. to genetic carrier screening. Yeah. Yeah. And Such the older I get, I definitely think about it more. I I'm still not sure if I want to have kids, but I'm like, if I do, it's definitely something that I will look into because if I can reduce that risk even a little bit and if I don't have it, then my partner doesn't need to do it. Correct. Both not carriers. Correct. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, again, this is the important stuff that people just don't know about. We know about because Mm. we're in the field and everything, but people just don't know. And I think that's why it's so important for these conversations to be had just so that then people can know that these options are there. Because, I mean, you're an incredible GP who is all over all this stuff. We just don't know if everyone is all over it. And, And I think that's why it's just important for people to have that knowledge. knowledge. Yep. Yeah. Be empowered. And I think if you go in to see your health professional, like your GP, and they're not raising it, go, I've heard about this. Yeah. Can you tell me more? And if they don't know, then I would go and try someone else um, yeah. and ask your friends, you know, look at community groups. Are there GPs who are recommended for certain things? Because there's a lot to keep on top of mm-hmm. as a GP. So I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm probably not on top of some stuff that others are. Totally, totally. Um, Nobody really can difficult. Be. No, it's impossible. <laughs> but, you know, you've got to find someone who can help you make an informed decision and and support you. Yeah. And the best care that's for you as well. Correct. You know, every GP is going to be suited to a different person. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So when do you refer someone onto a fertility specialist? Is it as you, well, we see around where it's after 12 months of trying, I think if it's or well, six months, I think. Is it over 30? Or? There you go. See? Oh, there you <laughs> go. Exactly right. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so I will do it for recurrent miscarriage. Yes. yes. Um, so if someone has had three consecutive miscarriages, I refer to a fertility specialist. Mm-hmm. I'll also do it sooner. It's case by case. Yeah. That's the guideline. Not everyone fits in there. If I've had a patient who's had two miscarriages and maybe they're over 35 or they've had two miscarriages and they're really anxious or underlying medical conditions, I just refer them sooner. It's better sooner in that instance. I refer people for fertility preservation. So people who are usually in their late 20s, early 30s is the optimal time when you're going to get bang for buck. I will refer those patients on after working them up. And then it's the people who've been trying to conceive. And so for people under 35, it's usually 12 months. For people over 35, it's six months of trying mm-hmm. with no conception. But again, that's the guidelines. And I will refer under 35 if it's been eight months and there's other stuff going on, you know, like it's case by case. But yep. that's what the guidelines say. 
Yeah. And I think that that's the biggest thing for me as well as a healthcare professional is these are guidelines. Yeah. And people, I think, stick to them really hard and they think, oh, no, but I haven't been trying for six months. I don't need to see my GP. It is so individualised person to person. And I think that that also sometimes isn't highlighted is, you know, these are guidelines and, yes, they're great guidelines and and they – they are based, yeah, they're based off of important things that we've figured out to get those guidelines in mm. the first place, but they are guidelines. Correct. They're not strict instructions that you can't go around. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they're not rules. Yeah, yeah, they're correct. Yeah. So I say that to patients all the time for everything, you know, for I'm talking about streptococcus tonsillitis. Yeah. Ear infections. <laughs> I'm like, you don't fit in the guidelines. You're one of those patients I'm looking yeah. at you and I'm like, you don't tick the box, but I think you need the penicillin <laughs> and I'm using my gut here and my juju. But um, yeah, not everything fits. Yeah. And so if you're umming and you're ahhing, go and talk to someone, exactly. you know, go and let someone guide you, get you some extra support if you need it. Uh, the other one that we wanted to touch on off the back of the things that we were talking about before was the emotional toll of infertility and the mm. things that come up with if someone has been trying for a while and, you know, they've already come and seen you and then they get to the point where they're just going, oh my God, tearing their hair out. Like yeah. this is not working. Yeah that comes with a lot of stress. And I feel like by the time we see people in the clinic for IVF Mm. treatment, that's way down the track. And I think that there's so many things that can be put into place earlier on to help with that stress. But by the time they get to us, they're just Mm. in such a state and it's awful. Yeah. I think, um, gosh, the emotional journey Mm. of trying to conceive, however it looks, whether you need intervention and assistance, whether you don't. Yeah is taxing. And mm. I say this as someone with two kids. I've had yeah. you know, two kids, four pregnancies, two miscarriages. Yeah, It's a bloody roller coaster. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I say to patients who are under 35 trying to conceive, you know, 92% of people in heterosexual couples will conceive by the 12-month mark, yeah. 98% by the two-year mark. That's a really interesting statistic as well because mm. I feel like that is not out there much. No, but but having said that, saying to someone, don't worry, 92% within 12 months, patients kind of look at me like, but I'm different. (laughs) And I felt like that too. I remember saying to Will when we were trying for three months, I was like, what the hell? There's something (laughs) wrong with you. There's something wrong with me. And you know Uh, the stats, but you're like, but I'm clearly the different one. Yeah. Um, But I think there is a huge toll. And there's also a financial toll, which is what I see in the consulting room. People going, you know, I'm going to have to remortgage my home or I'm going to have to access my savings or I'm going to try and get my super release so that I can... People, you know, it is really taxing. And I think Mm. acknowledging that, and then my job as the GP is when people are on this journey, particularly with fertility assistance, is to be the kind of advocate and the support and to kind of help them go, you know, do you want to continue the journey? Have you thought about other things? Because sometimes people just get like cancer treatment Mm. on the roller coaster and go, I didn't even know I could get off or do something else or change seats. And so, yeah, I see people struggling. Um, Mm. I agree with you. But getting all that support in early, the scaffolding, Mm. can make a big difference. Yeah, yeah. I like that, the scaffold. Yeah, yeah. talk about it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> it's hard because so many people just don't tell their friends and family that they're going through it. Yeah. And I just think that must be so difficult for them going through it alone mm. and not having that support because imagine having no eggs collected or no embryos or no normal embryos. I know, and, and I think there's still a bit of stigma. Yeah, same. Yeah, and I think, you know, patients have said that to me. Some people yeah. tell their parents, for instance, yeah. um, or, you know, a, a friend. I think there's also a bit of stigma around if you need assistance or intervention. Yeah. 
that you've somehow failed. Yeah. It's like having a C-section. Well, it's not a, you know, it's not yeah. a normal, I hate that word. But yeah, same. <laughs> they're all normal. You know, it yeah. doesn't matter vaginal C-section yeah. as long as everyone's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you need intervention, it's not shameful. Mm. You know, it's okay. But people often don't share because they think it makes them look like yeah. a failure. Yeah. I think even from the first step as well of going to see a GP, people mm. are like, oh, no, we'll just try. Yes, it's exactly. Like, it's yeah. like, no, 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 there's no harm in actually going to talk to someone about and yes. walking you step by step through. It's not like they're going to walk you step by step through the sex. Like, no. <laughs> that's not a Although thing. Although I do. <laughs> I actually do. I say to people, I'm like, you know, every second day before you ovulate, because yes. again, people don't know that. Yes. No. And I think people just wing it a little bit and we have amazing amazing apps out there, you know, things tracking, like yes. Flow, which we've spoken about before. We love that app. And there's other tracking apps as well. Mm. And I think they're fantastic. And that does enable people to at least have the opportunity to just explore a bit themselves. But I think it's so important, you know, yes. and yes, you go through the nitty gritty, which I love. But, you know, <laughs> I do. I do. Don't not everyone's going to do that. And I think there's no harm in just saying, I actually just need some help right now and, yeah. and just someone to walk me through the basics of, of where I actually go from here. I have those consults all the time. People yeah. who go, we're thinking about it. We don't know. So it's, I think there's still a lot of stigma for a lot of people when it comes to disclosing their family planning journey. Like I think, yeah. you know, some people say to me in the consulting room, Priya, I don't see myself as being a parent. Mm. Things have really changed. Yeah, and I, people. I yeah. think that's a really big thing at the moment Huge. where people feel like they are an awful person for saying that they don't necessarily want to go down the route of having children and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's a big, big But the world topic. has also changed. That's one of the reasons why mm. I am so on the fence about it because I see what kids go through now and it scares me Yeah, because I have parents around me at work who talk about what their kids are going through. And I just think if I was growing up in this current world, it's a scary place to be and to yeah. put a kid in that. The older I get, I'm like, the more... Anxiety that yeah, might generate. Yeah, the more anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd probably want to modelly coddle them and what my parents probably did to me. And I, yep. you know, try to rebel against that. Yeah. <laughs> you can see why, because the world yeah. is scary. Definitely. But also there's more... We've got climate change. Yeah, and I've exactly. got a lot of patients who say to me that makes them very anxious. It, it makes me quite anxious too. But yep. people <laughs> kind of go, you know, I'm doing my little bits, but I I can't see how this is sustainable. Bringing a child in, I've got people who say financially the cost of living absolutely freer. I can't afford a home. I can't afford the things I'd want for my child. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I've got people in their late thirties saying to me they're realizing, you know, I can't possibly accommodate a child. Yeah, very open discussions. But I also think. It shouldn't be shameful as mm. a person to say, I would really like to pursue this career thing or make sure I'm in a really stable relationship. We've decided we want to live together for this long before we commit to potentially having children. Mm. I think that's almost been seen as like a, gosh, you're being really selfish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Not, it's a huge decision. Yeah. And I think, you know, Willie and I, my husband, Willie, God, we talked this to death. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we did. Well, you're two doctors. It's like we massive are. to throw but kids not in there. That, not even the two doctor thing. I think it's we're both neurotic. We're both planners. Yeah. Um, I thought about it. I was like, I don't think I'm a natural mother. Yeah. Am I built for this? <laughs> um, I'm quite anxious. Yeah. I don't know. And then, you know, all of the stuff you said before, you yeah. kind of go, well, you know, 
I reckon I can guide them. And as shitty as the world can be at times, yes. yeah. I reckon, you know, I can give them the cocoon they need without smothering them. And mm. that's a bloody huge balance every day. Yeah. So for us, the seesaw swung towards kids, but it doesn't for everyone. And that's okay. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. It is okay. Yeah. It's you can have a complete okay. and full life. Yeah without children there and often it's there are familial pressures and there are other things and I say to patients this is about you this is your body your life yeah it's about you but people grapple yeah and they talk to me yeah which is nice my job (laughs) yeah (laughs) which is nice I feel like they can (laughs) yeah Oh, and we keep saying, I just don't know where you fit it all in, but you have those conversations. <laughs> I do. It's so nice. I do. <laughs> like I've had a couple recently who came in and said, Priya, we're unsure. Mm-hmm. We're in our 30s. We think we want to freeze some embryos, but we don't know if we want to use them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But some people go, well, you know, is there something wrong with me for not knowing if I want kids? Which, you know, you mentioned before, no, there's yeah. not. Yeah. We're not all, you know, we're not all 100% sure and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but there's still stigma with that. Oh, you're not a woman who doesn't want children, are you? <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> oh, literally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. okay. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. At least you know, at least you're mm. thinking about it and reflecting. That's a wonderful thing. We don't know. Yeah. And I said, that's totally fine. We don't know where to start. Yeah. We don't know what to do. We don't even know if we want, like, if we did want to get pregnant, what do we do? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And I love that. I'm like, that's Same. my job. Let yeah, me help you. Absolutely. Because it's grey and it's muddy, then there's all yeah. this stuff on social media. Correct. And it's wonderful that people share their journey and talk about stuff, but then... The issue is I think that people see one person's journey and assume the same rules apply Yeah, and they don't. That's the issue with anecdotal evidence. It mm. doesn't apply to you necessarily. Yeah. Um, but it can be hard when you really like someone, on it, you know, who, who's, you know, you're kind of jamming what they're wearing and what they're doing and what they're yeah. putting <laughs> to go, well, maybe I don't need to freeze my eggs right now. Yeah. Despite the fact yes. that they are. It can yeah. be really difficult. Really yeah. difficult. So, really. yeah, go and talk to your GP. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we get this question all the time because basically (laughs) when someone becomes pregnant, where do they go from there? And at what (laughs) stage do they see their GP, organise if they're going private or public? Mm. Like where do they go? I love this. I love that you guys are like, (laughs) we get them pregnant, but where do they go? (laughs) Because we don't know. (laughs) I know. And they don't come back and tell us. So No. (laughs) Oh, they don't tell you that you're that they're pregnant? No, no, no. no. We tell them they're pregnant. Like, no, no, but we sort of send them off and we're like, oh, we're not really sure. Maybe just touch base with your specialist, your GP, or I'm yes, touch base with your obstetrician. But then they never really tell us where they ended up. So we, we you don't, don't know. Really know. We find out at the end when they send the photos, but yeah, yeah that's not it. before. Not before. So normally patients, once they're pregnant, once they you give them that positive HCG, yes, it's there. And yes, there's, you know, you've seen something on the scan. Or that they've peed on a stick at home. Correct. That's come up. Correct. Yeah. They will normally, and I've spoken to my patients about this, but they will normally urgently book in with me. Mm-hmm. Because what I do is all this pregnancy stuff. So I start doing like a urine test, which you need to do in pregnancy um, yes. because you can get back to urea, which can be a problem. I make sure there's no investigations missing. And then I do the whole discussion, buddy, which is usually a double appointment. <laughs> I'm not um, surprised it's and a I double draw, appointment. <laughs> and I draw a map. I do the pre- and I'm like, this is where we're headed on the journey. Um, but things like, as you mentioned, are you going private or public? and organising those referrals. Now, a lot of private obstetricians 
get full really quickly. Yeah. So some of them by the time you're seven weeks go, no, we're totally full for October, sorry. The person you wanted isn't taking any more people on. That must be so stressful too to the person. So I say to people, book in with them and say your GP will give you a referral the minute you see the positive pregnancy test. Just book Mm -hmm. in with the person that you really desire. Because you can, it sounds terrible, but you can always cancel an appointment if you need to. Yes. With good time. With good time. With good time. But (laughs) if you want someone and you go, they understand me, I like this style of care, try and get your appointment. For public, there's a bit more time and I can sort those referrals and and I tend to look after patients until about 16 weeks in Mm -hmm. the public system. And we've got some amazing services in Australia. And you've got options like midwife care, shared care, midwifery-led programs. Gosh, we're really lucky. So there are options. So I talk through all of that. Then I'm also talking about scans. Mm -hmm. You know, are we going to do a scan? Hopefully, yes, 13 weeks and the 20 weeks. But often we do stuff like non-invasive prenatal testing or combined first trimester screening, mm-hmm. which, you know, you guys are going, this is not the fertility side. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no we, we get asked a lot though yes. about especially the NIPT test and yes. things because often they'll bring up the question of, is it worth doing the genetic testing because we're going to get the NIPT test it anyway? Is. Different things. Yeah, different things. Yeah, Please, everybody. Which is what we say. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. ideally both. But yeah. you don't have to do NIPT, it's expensive. You can do combined first trimester screening, which is the scan and the bloods and they put you into the matrix with your age and tell you your risk of having a baby with Down syndrome and other syndromes. Mm-hmm. So there are options and I talk about all of that. But we need time and we need to do it early in pregnancy. So I would say, you know, the minute you see that second line... Come and see Priya. Come and yep. see the GP. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots to do. Lots to do. Yeah. <laughs> and also pregnancy safe foods. You know, yes, I'm yes. Yes. I start talking about listeria and alfalfa sprouts yep. and mm-hmm. weeding them and da 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 da. Yeah. There's heaps. Yep. There is yeah. heaps. And, and I'm sure you get all these questions like, can I dye my hair? Can correct. I still swim in a pool? Yeah. All, all of it. Yeah. All of it. And yeah. to be honest, as the three of us being healthcare professionals, the worst thing you can do is jump onto Google because yes. honestly, we talk about this all the time and we just say, you are so much better off having a conversation with a healthcare professional than jumping onto Google Correct. because it can just send you down the biggest spiral yep. and it's awful. You don't want to feel like that. You don't. It generates often unnecessary anxiety, but there are some good resources. So if there you went is. to like the Royal Women's Hospital or if you went yes. to Better Health Victoria, there mm-hmm. are some good, solid resources. But going to forums... I see my patients come in really, really stressed. Yeah. You know, I haven't slept for three nights, Priya, because I read oh, this. I read I this, ate this about and now this I'm person. Yeah. 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 And so I say, let's just avoid that for now. Yeah. Go to the reputable stuff. Come and ask me. Yeah. Yeah. There's benefits to communities and also yeah. there's really risky information yeah. that can go onto those things. I think it's really hard for the individual to know where the line is. But yeah. I think if you've got a point of contact like yourself to say, okay, I read this. Is this something that I should be aware of or I shouldn't worry mm-hmm. about? is really important too. Yep. Yeah. So like the amateurs we are, we accidentally stopped the recording <laughs> prior to saying goodbye to Priya and thank you for coming on. We absolutely adored speaking to Priya and she's just a wealth of knowledge that we find so valuable. So we look forward to bringing her on again in the future. We are beginners, so bear with us as <laughs> these things are probably going to happen again. <laughs> but you can find Priya on Instagram at dr.priya.alexander and her book that she's got out at the moment is called Eat, Sleep, Play. So you can find us on Instagram at WTF Fertility Poet. Tune in for our next episode. We have a really special story for you guys. I know the last couple have been very medical heavy I guess (laughs) so we've got a really special one for you yeah and one that's close to my heart so it'll be really good (laughs) thanks so much guys thanks Bye. bye